Welcome to Mental Health and You. This podcast brings you the best information and advice from across the Norfolk and Suffolk Foundation Trust. Every fortnight, we will hear from one of our specialist areas, be it school and parent support, the recovery college, well-being or research. This week's podcast comes from school and parent support. So welcome to our podcast today, which is on the subject of staff stress within the education sector. I'm Alison Woods, a clinical psychologist working in the psychology in schools team in Suffolk. And I'm joined today by the lead psychologist for the psychology in schools project, Beth Mosley. Hi. Hi, welcome, Beth. On our podcast today, we're really pleased to have Alex Baker with us, who is a teacher and member of the senior leadership team at Thurston Community College in Suffolk. Welcome, Alex. Hi. Hello there. So our podcast today is an opportunity for us to hear about the pressures on school staff currently, and to start to explore how staff within schools are experiencing the pandemic, with these many transitions and changes coming into place along the way. And I guess actually, Alex, sometimes hearing about these changes on the news kind of while it's happening, I don't know how it feels from your point of view. Could you tell us a bit about that? Yes, certainly. I, I think sometimes people think that um, we know in advance that we're going to announce, but actually 99.9% of the time we find out at exactly the same time as everybody else. And in fact, with one of the, the latest lockdowns just before Christmas, I didn't realise until I got a message from my friend, who's not a teacher, telling me what, what was happening next. So, yeah, it's been a little bit of a roller coaster. Um, and we've had to, as a school, be incredibly adaptable and to plan loads of stuff really, really quickly and plan, you know, brand new school timetables, um, staffing and rotors extremely quickly, which we would normally do well, you know, would take months in advance to get all of the timetables sorted. So, yeah, it's been a, it's been a roller coaster thus far. So it sounds like there's an incredible amount to put together when you have these different ways of, of, of offering the, the teaching. And I guess as well, you've got students who are still coming into school or sort of key worker school and more vulnerable students. Plus, you're doing the online teaching as well. Yeah. So in the first instance, obviously, we had key worker school running as and then putting together plans for the online learning. This time round, it was a little bit quicker because we'd done it before. We knew what key worker school entailed. But it was the, the live lessons that um, were a little bit more interesting as we did last time we did it. It was all learning set online using um, one of our platforms, learning platforms. But this time we've been doing it via Google Meet. So for, for a teacher, they've had to adapt very, very quickly and learn lots of new skills using Google Meet, using the new technology staff have had to pick up really quickly with, with, with support, obviously. But yeah, it, again, it's been one of those things that they've had to get used to. And it's not just the the, uh, the staff that have had to do that as well. It's children who maybe not haven't got the technology at home or are struggling. And then there's the stress for parents brought on by the fact that they want the best for their child, but they've got to do live lessons, which is great, but they can't get their camera to work or but you can't hand their work in. So, yeah, whilst it's, it's really positive and a really good way of working, um, it, it also has its stresses for people involved in it, everybody involved, actually. Sure. And I guess as someone who, as I said, is a teacher and a member of the, the leadership team, what's the kind of feel in school at the moment, kind of at this stage of the pandemic? And what does it feel like in terms of stress levels? Do you know, the stress levels aren't too bad. First lockdown, 
that was really stressful because it was that fear of the unknown. We didn't really know where we were going. Obviously, we had all of our strategic plans in place for timetables. We knew the key work students that were coming in. We had a clear plan for them, but we didn't know how long it was going to go on for. Um, and we had a rotor of staff. So eventually we settled into a routine and, you know, teachers, we're kind of creatures of habit. We like routine. So once we had a routine in place, that um, allowed the stress levels to dip. But there's always, again, that anxiety in the background about how transmissible um, COVID-19 is and, you know, how it's going to affect staff. And you've got the government saying, no, it's OK. Um, schools are safe places to be. But as obviously we crept towards Christmas, um, we'd all come back into school. Um, and, that, and that was another organisational feat. Um, but then anxiety levels rose again because we had students in school. You could see cases naturally starting to rise. Um, and that, that impacted greatly on staff, I think, actually, in that fear that we were all soldiering on. We were wearing our masks, washing our hands, doing all we could do. But again, it's that, that fear of the unknown. At the moment, we've only got a very small amount of staff in school. So I think... Um, uh, the, the principal has come up with a really clear plan. I mean, we look at it week by week, day by day. In fact, we meet every day to discuss what's going on in school, but mm -hmm. a, a clear plan to make sure that as few people are in uh, the college as possible, um, allowing staff to concentrate on making sure their live lessons are as good as possible. So we've got a, a key group of um, people in, in school who are looking after key worker and vulnerable students. And then that then allows the majority of staff to make sure their live lessons are as good as they can be but also to support them in staying safe as well so they can work from home successfully and produce good lessons mark online work and all of the things that come with with working online so it sounds like you've got a really good plan together and how you, you've sort of sorted this out and how you supported staff i wonder how it is kind of supporting colleagues when like you said you've got a few people in school and then a lot of people working from home have you sort of found ways that you can support each other and how have you done that this time? Yeah, I mean, I think the departments all work in different ways, but I know most people have got some sort of WhatsApp or, or so we can keep each other going because there's, there's moments of joy and there's moments of funny moments as well. So sharing stories, um, staying in touch that way. And then more formally, we have we're having meetings online as well. So we can stay in touch and share ideas, the teaching community of people trying to support each other with what about this technique? You know, if you can do a voice recording, try this. Or if you're struggling to hear the students, try this. Mm -hmm. So there is a real sense of camaraderie. We don't see each other, which is is really difficult, actually, because we are used to seeing each other. And I think, you know, coming back in September and meeting up with everybody in the staff room was just a real joy um, and made us realise, I think, how much we appreciate seeing each other and how lucky we are to, to have our jobs as well, because obviously not everybody is, is as lucky as we are, though it's difficult. And I wonder, Beth, if I could come to you, because obviously you have experience of leading the Psychology in Schools project across a number of schools. And I wonder if what you've heard from Alex kind of rings true from what you're hearing across schools, across Suffolk. Yeah, absolutely. I think what's really interesting is the experience of coming back into school in September. Um, and of course, the anticipation of, of all the things and struggles that there might be with all the new kind of processes and keeping people safe. And of course, a lot of talk about very high anxiety levels. I think what was really interesting being back in school myself and alongside the other team members is just how incredible the whole community um, seemed to be in getting back into the flow of being in school, um, how 
adaptive young people were and how well they seemed to be managed managing the new kind of rules I suppose that they had to follow um, and like uh, Alex mentioned the word joy I think genuinely for many young people there was true joy in seeing their friends again in person um, and actually surprising themselves with the opportunity to learn in class and, and see their teachers and have that kind of banter that comes with that so I think for many young people, if they were anxious about going back to school within those first two weeks, what they discovered was how much they'd been missing those really important things, the structure and routine. A lot of young people said, you know, I hate to admit this, but the only reason that my sleep is back to what it should be is because I came back to school. Um, so I think it was a really positive environment to be in, actually not filled with fear and anxiety, which I think some of us were, were probably expecting. Um, but as the term wore on, I do I, there was a real sense of increasing stress levels for staff who not just having to hold the learning needs of their students, but also, I guess, for many young people who were needing more time to adjust to the difficulties or needing to check in with with teachers about their experiences during lockdown. And I uh, my reflections really are that it felt for school staff like the other services that were were involved with schools were less accessible and less available because they weren't necessarily back to business as usual. So they were having to hold the stress and anxiety of those young people themselves without feeling well supported by, by other organisations. Um, and I think that you could really sense that accumulative stress as the term wore on um, and staff were trying to juggle the demands, for example, of not being able to stay in one classroom, having to move from classroom to classroom with all of their things. Um, so I, I feel like there was a surprising joy for everyone at being back in together in the community and, and the support that that brings with it. But I think the pressures as the term wore on to kind of be all things to all man really um, was really resonating for me and my experience in being in school. I don't know if Alex would agree. Yes, I'm an echo what you were saying, Beth. The kids amazed me at how resilient they were. They just adapted and we've worked out lots of of ways of um, using classrooms and cleaning them afterwards so we can keep the practical elements like science um, and PE and keep those elements going but like you say as as the term wore on I think the impending um, as I said the cases rising in the area there was there was fear about where this was going how long we could keep this going for how long we could keep towing our trolleys around school um, and keep keep it keep it going but also there was worry and concern for the year 10s and the year 11s and in particular the year 11s because yet again there was messaging coming out about the exams Scotland saying we're not going to do any exams um, the English government not actually saying anything about it um, or making suggestions so again I think it's that fear of the unknown the fear of not knowing where we're going we're great at planning once we know we will plan we will make it work but for the students in particular, the older ones, they are, they're really worried about their future and where they're going. And when, we, when we've got mixed messages coming through about what the exams are going to be like. And I also think for parents as well who expect us to know, and we, we should know, when we don't know, um, we did see that transferring into um, fear for the students and, and then becoming more and more anxious. And a lot of our year 11s were actually struggling to cope towards, towards the end of the term. Um, at the moment, we've got lots of our pastoral team are trying to support remotely. 
um, to support all of those tens and elevens and make sure that the lessons are as good as they can be. But like Beth said as well, services were less accessible and have become less accessible again. So it felt like we were, you know, we're trying to do all we could, but possibly not ever enough, which again is stressful. Yeah, and it's it's interesting, Alex. I guess because we talk about sort of this idea of moral injury and this idea in the pandemic particularly with health staff as well, that you can't maybe give the care and service that you'd want to give. And that creates this kind of moral dilemma and sort of feelings of guilt. And I, I wonder if that's something that you might feel sometimes, that there's a, a service you want to give and you want to do these things and you're you're hampered by not knowing what's going on. You've got ongoing fear and uncertainty, haven't you, as a school and as young people, you don't know what's coming. And it's really difficult, isn't it, to put into place those things you'd really like to put into place. Yeah, it is. I mean, we've got... we've we've got young people struggling and always have really struggled before the pandemic so there's there's the fear for them but also the fear for their families as well and when you hear the stories of what's going on out there with some families it's really difficult and I think the one of the ways we've managed we, we do all we can ultimately and I think staying in contact with parents and offering them all the support we can um it is all we can do ultimately but I know from staff the other thing we need to do is again make sure we're still talking to each other and communicating with, with each other just as we would in normal times rather than trying to take it on on our you know on our own shoulders and do all we can actually discussing what can we do in a practical sense um and kind of having to park the things that we just we just can't do at the moment and know that I will hope that it, it you know it will get better at some point that's actually something I was quite curious about while you were talking, Alex, thinking, are staff talking about their concerns and their fears? Do you feel that they're able to express that? And just even as a group, be able to acknowledge that there are some really difficult things happening, some things you can respond to and some things that you can't and how difficult that is. I was wondering how sort of vocal people are about that at the moment. I mean, certainly within my team, because I obviously I work with teams, so I work with the heads of year, our student support team. We, ha- we do have really good lines of communication and staff are not afraid to say how they're feeling. If they think something that's being done to them or they're part of is not as it should be, they will say. So I hope um, that staff feel they can discuss things. And I know within departments as well, curriculum areas, they are really good at talking to each other. And I think as a school, it's a strong point that we are, you know, we're a good community as a whole, but we're also a good community in, in our small little groups and also feel they can speak to the leadership team as well. And I know that our principal is incredibly approachable and her bottom line is is making sure that she does all she can to support staff's well-being and she she will do whatever she can. And we've had loads of discussions about um, how to make things work. It sounds like you have various ways of doing it. It sounds really positive. And, and I think, Beth, from a sort of clinical psychologist point of view, just being listened to and having your fears and feelings and difficult thoughts validated can't be underestimated. It's so important, isn't it, in coping long term with a difficult situation like this? Agreed. And I think we kind of know that our own expectations often can drive the stress that we're feeling when we're under pressure to to perform um, and do things differently. And we often feel like what we're doing isn't quite meeting our own expectations because we're out of our comfort zone and we're having to do things differently in ways that we might not feel is our strength or our skill set and so I think absolutely that kind of opportunity to to understand that it's okay to not be okay and the bottom line is is you're good enough is good enough um, that, that, that kind of culture and messaging is really critical I think to staff being in a position where they potentially 
can ask for help if they need it. I think sometimes we have an idea that asking for help feels like a fail. And I know speaking to some staff members, they, they've talked about, well, actually, you know, in the great scheme of things, although it's tough at the moment compared to what other people might be going through, um, I feel very, very lucky. So it I find it really difficult to talk about um, just how low I might be feeling or how how much of a, a problem it might be getting up today, because uh, actually I shouldn't be feeling like that because I know other people are having it much more difficult than me. And I think it's just really important to hold in mind that that for many of us, it's going to be a real struggle. Monday morning is going to be a real struggle. And we're actually kind of feeling this emotional exhaustion. And, it, and it's particularly true for, for people who work in a caregiving profession. We know that teaching staff and healthcare staff uh, struggle with burnout, you know, pre-COVID, because it is a profession where you're giving all of the time. And we're not just giving to our jobs, we're also trying to give to our families or, or those people in our lives that we might be sharing our lives with. So we're not necessarily finishing work and, and then able to look after ourselves easily. We're having to go back into the role of being caregiver for, for our own children or our own partners. Um, so it can feel exhausting. And I do think we've got this accumulative stress of the whole nine month period. Um, and I know personally, for me, I've had to really try to be as kind to myself as possible, because I'm kind of wanting myself to perform, you know, in the normal way that I might be might have done this time last year. And January is a tough month anyway. And I'm really finding it quite hard to, to kind of sustain that level of motivation um, and enthusiasm for what I'm doing on a daily basis. Um, and I think that's okay. I mean, it is okay. It's, it's natural and it's difficult. Um, so being in an environment where you feel understood and you feel that people are appreciating what you're doing, even if it isn't the best thing you've ever done in your life, um, is really important. And I think that's the message we need to be giving young people as well, because I think a lot of young people at home will be thinking, I've not done enough work today or I'm not sure if I'm getting this right and, you know, what's going to happen next. They'll be feeling uh, very similarly to us about their mm. tasks. And I guess it's how we communicate with one another and parents and young people is so critical because I think we're all very sensitive probably to any negative, anything that feels remotely negative. So, so yeah, I think communication is, is, is such a central part of that, isn't it? The messages we give each other and the messages we give ourselves. So we're often our own worst critics, aren't we? We're, we're often quick to to notice what we might not be doing so so well within a day and the tasks we didn't get done. And I think often we have to work really hard at shifting that round to looking at what we might have achieved despite the difficult situation we're in. And, this, and again, that messaging to the families that we might be talking with, the young people we might be talking with uh, and the other members of staff, really. So I guess that's so interesting, isn't it, to think about how important it is to have support for one another for families, for young people, for colleagues, and to put those structures in place and to listen and validate. But equally important is to have compassion for ourselves and to recognise the things that we're doing, the pressures we're all under, how difficult this is, and to kind of be able to give ourselves a pat on the back about how well we're coping with it, because it's really hard. And sometimes, as you said, Beth, we're our own worst critics, aren't we? And we don't appreciate what we've done. And just listing some of the things at the end of the day that you've got done can actually really boost mood, can't it? And self-esteem. So self-compassion feels really important. 
And, and I guess also remembering what we know is good for us. And I think the summer was easier to do some of those really fundamental, basic things like uh, being outside and doing activity. Um, I think that probably really helped people over the summer period to keep active. Lots of people took up other activities they might not have otherwise done, like um, the running and biking industries kind of really improved, hasn't it? And I think it's really difficult to do that at this time of year. So it's important to hold on what, to what we know works well. And it might mean that we have to get out of our comfort zone and, and get more clothes on to do some of these activities but not letting them go just because it's a li little bit more difficult. So the the exercise is really, really important. And how do we build in physical activity to help us process these stress toxins in our in our body throughout the working day when we we've got the dark mornings and, and the dark evenings? So that's something that I think a lot of people and young people will be be struggling with. So actually, one of the things as a teacher you can do is get your if you're doing a live lesson, get your young people standing up at, at the beginning and the end of a lesson and shaking themselves out and maybe tensing all of their muscles up really, really, really hard and then letting them go. Because we know that just one to two minutes of doing that at the beginning and the end of a lesson actually really really helpful for our bodies to process some of these stress chemicals and kind of wake ourselves up a bit so it's kind of trying to help build in some of these healthy things in which we don't because if you were at school you'd be walking around the school building you know you'd, you'd have that opportunity to get rid of some of the physical tension and actually for a lot of us we're not getting those opportunities we're stuck in front of a computer on a screen for long periods of time a lot of the young people I've been talking to are doing their home learning are kind of doing that all day in their bedrooms and we just know that that in itself is going to lead to an increase in feeling stressed and, and possibly also feeling low because we're not doing enough uh, variety of activity so I think it's important to just because it's winter not forget what really helped us in the summer and try and and do as much of that as possible that's great Beth and that's kind of given us really good ideas about how we can be flexible with that and just introduce small amounts of activity and fitness into our day and I guess Alex I'm wondering if that's come into things for you as a teacher bearing in mind the seasons have changed it's not like the summer lockdown have you noticed that in terms of how young people are coping and physical activity? I mean certainly from from key worker school we're 10% of the school in um, and in the summer we had key workers schools so in the afternoon we go outside and go for a run and and do lots of different activities um, with the live lessons that's not allowing us to be quite as flexible um, and it's also I've really noticed the last week or two they are how much time they spend in front of a screen so from our point of view in school we've got games and card games and we're trying to build in, in what we call golden time so they cannot possibly spend 100 minutes stuck in front of a screen like you say Beth it's, it's really not good and they're not going to be very productive either so we're trying to build in um, some golden time as well where they can play old-fashioned board games and, and do stuff that's a little bit more just not screen based we've got the table tennis tables out so that, that's fine that's all in school but I think we do need to now think about how we can encourage young people to do stuff at home and build that into our live lessons. Certainly we've got the PE lessons and I know the PE team have been um, setting them actual physical tasks to do, little mini workouts. So we are encouraging them to do so via their PE lessons. We're also running tutor time sessions. 
um, in the morning when they'd normally be with their tutor every morning. So I think that's another way we can build it in. And I'm still we've still got the programme of well-being stuff that's happening through two to time. But I think you make a really good point about it. It is really cold out there. I'm not <laughs> yeah. wanting to go outside. So actually ways that we could young people to do that and, and lift their moods as well. And, you know, I've got a son at home who's in year eight and we sometimes go into the kitchen and just have a dance in the kitchen, which sounds silly, but it's enough just to get him going again, ready for round two, lesson two. So, yeah, being able to do something that involves moving around, we, we definitely need to think about for that for our live lessons. Uh, and another thing I was thinking, Alex, that one of the things that I've noticed from speaking to young people who I've been working with virtually is that they um in it's the opportunity to connect with their classmates and i don't i don't know how feasible this is of the platforms that people are using and i guess um being creative about because what i think young people actually don't necessarily have those skills of uh communicating with each other verbally um in the way that we might have done in when we because when I grew up I had to pick up a phone to chat to my friend and I think a lot of young people are using whatsapp groups communicate with one another but not necessarily having the opportunity to talk with one another and I think it's really difficult there's not much to talk about we're probably all finding this you know that you've given up picking up the phone to talk to someone because your life is is much less going on to to have conversations about and so one of the things I was talking about with a couple of them was the idea of having breakout groups where they've got an activity a, a learning activity that they're doing together so it gives them the structure but also gives them an opportunity to actually talk to one another whilst they're completing that learning a bit like you would have in a normal classroom context they would have that kind of connecting in with one another as they're doing some tasks it just really struck me that some of the young people I've been talking to that just doesn't feel like there's any opportunities to have this informal touching base with other people in their class and for some young people who don't have a really strong peer group or who are quite underconfident about reaching out to others it really actually might be the only time in that day that they're going to have an opportunity to talk to somebody in their in their age group um so i just ref was thinking about that really and how we can try and integrate opportunities for that within their classroom learning that's a really good point yeah. uh, is, have you got ideas about that alex and how you can do that or are you doing that already in some of those lessons um well the opportunity for we use the microphone for students to chat is there i've noticed from my lessons that they're like Beth says they're quite shy about doing it so it's ways of encouraging them to do so not picking on them but maybe asking certain students to respond because like you say they are just not used to talking to each other like that they're not used to picking up the phone and chatting mostly I think maybe some, some of the boys are more with the, the gaming that they do when they're chatting away but it's again it's not something that a lot of them do and I lockdown when the year 10 started coming back in as a pastoral team we met them all and some of them had not physically spoken to a friend for the whole five I've sent the odd text, but they hadn't spoken to someone in their own their own age group for that whole length of time. So I think, again, reflecting, it's something that certainly we can take back to staff. Um, so when they're planning their live lessons, thinking about ways to allow young people to talk to each other. And in part of the planning, like you say, Beth, could be that they do spend five minutes just chatting together about work that they're doing and encouraging that that level of communication that which they are quite shy about you know most of our kids are really confident but it really surprised me last week my 10s and 11s I said right you can use your microphones deadly silence nothing happened <laughs> they went back to using the chat function and, and typing they were quite happy doing that but the odd one or two that are brave will say something but it's definitely something we can work on 
and actually I reflected with a, a young person I was meeting with is actually in sixth form is that this is now going to be going into your needed skill set as you go into the workplace because I think we know that going forward we are going to be probably doing more virtual working and needing to go to meetings and link in with people virtually I think that we can agree that you know that's this COVID has really changed the way that businesses are going to be operating so it is actually a skill to to um, prioritise learning as a young person going forward especially for those ones in the older year groups Um, and actually when I spoke to the young person in that way they seemed to really understand that actually it was it was something worth working on um, to build the confidence because I think we all know that in the first couple of weeks of working like this has been really tough and took a lot of getting used to but now we've done it enough times the confidence is there and actually it feels quite natural so I guess it's kind of set structuring things to enable people to have enough of an opportunity that it becomes the norm and then it's a new skill that those young people have got as they go into the workplace. So it's actually in a sense we could have some shared learning as adults, as teachers, um, about working within this kind of virtual environment and just acknowledging that we felt nervous, we felt unsure, maybe a bit embarrassed the first time we had to video ourselves and operate like this, but actually we've got used to it. And now for a lot of us, we probably don't think twice about it. So in effect, we can kind of model to the young people to use this different way of communicating with one another, which may seem really daunting and a bit embarrassing at first, but you will get used to it. And as you said, Beth, it's going to be the way forward for a lot of people, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. And and I think this is the thing that um, it's, it's this challenge, isn't it, between the, the huge changes that we're all facing, which massively increase anxiety levels because there's so many unknowns we've had to be so responsive and adaptable and chop and change a lot you know you just got your head around one thing and then all of a sudden you're doing another thing I mean I think the week that schools were coming back at the beginning of term my kids were like so are we going to school or are we not going to school and it was like in one breath we they were and in the next they weren't um, and so we're all having to deal with these huge changes with very short notice. And I actually think now at this point in the pandemic, because the notice has been so short, we you always thinking, am I missing something on the news which is going to have a huge impact on my life? I think earlier in the pandemic, it felt like we got a bit more warning if there were going to be changes. So we're all dealing with this huge amount of change. I guess the upside of that is we're all have finding opportunities to do things differently we're finding opportunities to learn new skills um and i guess the other thing is is that we uh, are finding opportunities to build new connections um and one of the things i think that we've all been able to recognize that we're all actually really struggling with this and i think some people i've spoken to have been like well before in my life i felt like everybody was just really doing well and i'm the only person struggling with my life but I, I think in some respects, people have got a much more empathy and compassion for everybody's struggle, mm. um, which means that we're in an environment now where I do believe we can admit more openly what we might be finding difficult or that we might be feeling anxious or that we might be feeling low because so many of the important things to us are no longer available for us to do. Yeah, I guess sort of listening to you talking, Alex and Beth, um, over this podcast, I'm getting a real appreciation for the job of teachers and what you've had to put into place. As you said, how reflexive and um, flexible you've had to be in how you've delivered training and how you've supported each other and the teaching. And I, and I kind of 
one, if you feel that, that the public has a real sense of what the task has been like. And it's, I guess for me, when I first started working in a school a year and a half ago, I really had no idea about what it took to run a school at all. <laughs> and I think it's given me a real insight on this podcast about what the challenge has been, not just in normal times, but in this incredible time of pandemic. Yeah. And I know I know that obviously general general public know that we teach and we have lessons, but that's not just the only thing we do. We've got to consider health and safety. So we have had to write health and safety documents. Thank goodness I haven't had to do that. But members of our team have had to and have had to consider all the public health information to make sure that the school is safe for staff, for pupils, for visitors. So all of those structures that you have in place have had to be thought about. And I think unless you work in, in, in a, um, a job where you are constantly face to face with um, people and communicating and talking, um, the whole day. I, I'm not sure you realise quite how tiring that can also be um, on, on a day-to-day basis when you've got an ever-changing things happening um, and then you've got different messages coming through day in, day out about what you should and shouldn't be doing and what level of hygiene you should have and all of that messaging that's constantly coming through and having to adapt. Um, but yeah, so I'm not, I'm not sure everybody does, but I, I know that our parents are incredibly appreciative of what happens in school um, so I think we're really lucky that we've got a community that supports us as a school. And I think the encouraging thing is really is the experience of the return to school in September. I think for many people would have been much more positive than they anticipated, which gives us a sense of hope, I guess, that once we get through this lockdown period and schools are reopened, is that for young people and teachers, they're returning to school especially as we go into the summer period, will hopefully feel like a really positive thing and provides an opportunity as a community to reflect on the challenges of the year before and come together really to kind of acknowledge a lot of sadness and grief that these young people are losing so much of of their time, especially those ones at pivotal points, for example, year 11s and year 13s. I mean, again, I feel very much for this year 11 group who are facing so many potential losses around uh, their, you know, their experience of year 11 going into year 12. I think there's a lot of sadness if you're a parent or you work with young people for the things that they're not able to do at the moment. And and actually coming back together gives an opportunity to help young people feel okay about that sadness and get access to being back together and and enjoying, you know, what life has to offer to the full. They're talking about it being the new 20s, aren't they? They're going forward. So I guess we might need to expect that some of our teenagers might need to have a bit of a rebellion um, and and have some excessive fun when when they get the opportunity to do it again. Um, And I think the great thing about schools is they are a community. Most people have a great, strong sense of belonging within them and they're responsive so whatever's happening within your community or within your school you as a school will be able to respond to that and give the young people and the teachers what they need to help get through it with one another so i think there's a lot of hope there about the power of that community in helping the healing process and the recovery process um, once we get through this this kind of section of the crisis, really. Yes, I think absolutely right, isn't it? It's about acknowledging the losses. Sometimes that's the loss of what you expected to happen. Sometimes it's a real grief process and bereavement. But as you said, there's such hope as well, and maybe a new appreciation of things. 
that we haven't been able to do and young people now have been able to get together and connect on a different level. Are there any last words from you, Alex, on this podcast before we draw it to a close? I'd just like to reiterate something I said earlier about how resilient our young people are and to acknowledge as well, yes, that, that things have been really difficult and are really difficult and may continue to be so. But actually, we have huge strength together, as Beth said, as, as a community, and they will learn from all of the ups and downs and the resilience will will hopefully hold them in good stead in the future. Lovely. Thanks ever so much, Alex, for joining us today. And thank you, Beth. And that's the end of our podcast. Thank you very much. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening. Please do subscribe. It's free and means the podcast will automatically download every fortnight. Do rate and review the podcast and follow our social media accounts. They're all in the show notes. And more than anything, look after yourself.